am so glad to be here with you all this morning, whether you're watching us online or, or you're here with us in person. If you're new here today, my, my name is Ken, and I, I serve as the pastor here, and I am so very proud of Jason and Abdu, who did a wonderful job um, sharing God's word with us over the last couple of weeks. They, they were wonderful, weren't they? I, I got to do some new things like fix my brakes. I would rather preach because <laughs> uh, my car doesn't stop now. <laughs> so hopefully I'll do better at preaching than I did on my brakes. But I, I'm so, so blessed. Uh, it gave me so much joy in my heart to, to watch those two men share God's word over the last couple weeks. Um, I'm also pleased and, and very humbled by how God has moved with such generosity in our congregation. As Mike mentioned, we, we packed uh, 10,000 meals yesterday for Haiti, and uh, you know people helped out by packing meals and cooking and uh, all with that event. And, and we have, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, talked about helping the people of Burundi so that people weren't being bitten by worms in the, their homes and, and to be able to put floras into those homes. And there's a goal of... 55 homes, and we have raised the money as a congregation for 49 of those homes. Amen. Amen. And, and I just have to think that, that this next week, those, those other five homes are, 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 are going to be blessed. I just, you know, I, I know God's going to move in, in someone's heart. You know, and I don't mean that as pressure. I remember being in a church in, in the city of Chicago. It was an all-African-American church, and, and, and they liked the full me- message, like in Africa, too. Services go on for hours. And I was in the service, and I didn't know what was going on there, saying, somebody's going to give. And they kept going, and they kept calling, and they said, somebody's going to give, somebody's going to give. And about an hour and a half into it, I figured I was the somebody, because I wasn't getting out of there. <laughs> Unless I gave. And, but so I'm, we're not going to put that kind of pressure on you today. But, but we'll let God, through his Holy Spirit, work in your heart for, for more generosity so we can meet this need in, in Burundi. Um, God's love today is what we're going to be talking about. Unshakable assurance. Assurance, real in assurance, that is God's unshakable love for us. It, 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 and, and that love for us is a rock-solid truth. Unfortunately, we, we all struggle sometimes in life and in faith because our eyes are on ourselves and what we do in the flesh instead of on that truth that God loves us. Insurance in faith is a religious idea we come with, up with. But assurance rests in our understanding in the very nature of God. In our text today, the Apostle Paul, he's asking us to think something many of us are resistant to do. We like to live our lives based on our own opinions, which are often very flawed like we are. We all like to feel like we're right. It's kind of to be human. But true faith is recognizing that God is right. And and sometimes his truth exists between or higher than our conflicting ideas. 
Our conflicting ideas, though, are, are like uh, rungs of a ladder we have to be willing to climb to really understand what the truth is. The truth is God loves us. But to fully understand how deep and how wide that is, is how much we're willing to, to, to be climbing his word, to, to be assured, to be thinking on him. Now, in any kind of climbing, there's effort and, and there's danger, especially like if you're climbing a mountain. But when you get to the top, the view is spectacular. You know, over the past few weeks, we have journeyed upwards in Romans 8, as, as Paul has been describing the amazing truths of the gospel. But now he starts to emote by asking us questions so that we can see the pinnacle of God's love for us. And, and today we're going to go over, well, he has six questions. We're going to go over five of them so that we can climb and up and see the majesty of, of God's love for us. And, and Jason and Abdu, they, they did a wonderful job sharing the truths of Romans 8 with you over the past couple weeks. But today we're going we're gonna to dig a bit deeper and explore some challenging questions that they left for me. <laughs> Some questions that have been debated for centuries. And, and, and don't worry, it, it might get a little rocky as we climb through these, but the goal isn't to settle all the arguments. Our goal is to see the height and the breadth of God's unshakable love for us. See, sometimes the deepest truth lie within the tension between opposing ideas. And today your pastor is foolishly ready to, to take a daring climb with you, navigating some of these challenges. Yet it's where I think we're going to see the most breathtaking view of God's assurance. And, and, and when I say breathtaking view, I do not mean my view. I mean God's view. Today it's okay to have a different view than me on some of what I'm going to talk about, as long as we're willing to go climbing together to understand God's view, the main picture of unshakable assurance. And, and theologians have, have debated some of these verses that we're going to talk about for thousands of years, trying to understand God. And that debate has helped some understand the wonder of God's love for us better, but it has also sometimes created disunity and lowered our vision of God because of our stubborn need to be right in our flesh, in our own theological opinions. The goal is to climb and wonder. And that's what I believe Paul is saying to us in these verses. So are you ready to start daringly climbing and not put your trust in your flesh? but in the greater assurance of God's love for you. If you are open to Romans chapter 8 in your Bibles, and we're going to start in verse 31, and let's look at Paul's first question. And what shall we say to these things? See, Paul has been talking about our salvation, saying that it has nothing to do with anything in our flesh. That, that what God has promised us is greater than anything that we suffer in the flesh. And, and that right now, all creation, including us, is groaning 
because of the effects of our sin. And our our hope is something outside of our flesh and and outside of ourselves. It is the work of the Spirit in the promise of God through His Son Jesus alone. And Paul says we are no longer debtors to our flesh. It's amazing. We We have no obligation to perfect this. But we are to trust that God will perfect it. Even our theological opinions won't perfect it because they are of the flesh. Paul says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And then Paul gives us this statement, for whom those he foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And friends, this text and some others are what theologians and all of us start to slip on. What are the meanings of some of these words? But I believe it's in these words that we find the greatest assurance of our salvation. Because in these words, Paul's pointing out salvation rests in the sovereign choice of God and not in any decision we make in the flesh. These words are saying God chose in advance who he would save or conform to the image of his son. That's what Paul is saying. And he's been consistent to what he says in other places, like Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, where he says, God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the earth. He he chose those he would save. And, And we can be assured of his love for us because he chose us before we ever chose him. He, he did the work of our salvation way before we ever chose him. Then why do we ever lose a sense of our assurance of God's love for us? And it's because of our sin and, and our feelings about our sin and because of our feelings about our own effort to overcome our sin. But Paul is saying, It was dealt with before the foundations of the world. And then Paul says, what what then shall we say to these things? And he answers it with a question to help us see that our salvation is in his love and not our effort. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, Now, Christians, we can emote this. And it feels good to say, if God is for us, then who can be against us? But I believe we can really be assured when we fully believe the truth of that statement, not just a feel-good statement that we emote. We have to believe the if, because if the if is true, friends, there's no doubt, and there's no fear in your life. But there is the truth here also. That there is someone against us. Satan, the accuser, that does not want us to believe 
this truth. He wants us to believe our sin is greater than God's love for us, which creates something else against us. Us. We are against us. When we believe Satan's accusation more than what we believe God says, and there's someone else against us, other people. People want to point out our past sins to make themselves feel better or superior. And often we believe them more than we believe God. But throughout God's word, he has said he is for us. And, and, and if he is God, then logically, can anybody be against us? I mean, it's just pure logic. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And so, can anybody really be against you? Only those that we receive and put our faith in more than him. Like Satan, ourselves, and others. We're actually putting more faith in them than we are in God. Paul says this, our mind is on the things of the flesh, which brings death instead of on the things of the spirit. What God has said brings us life. Our minds are on things that are dead instead of on God. Now, God did not just say this to emote some good feeling statement that he is for us. He did more than that. He proved it. In his next statement, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Romans 8, 32. In that question are some of the deep truths of the gospel. We can be assured of our salvation because it is a gift. God gave us his son. And, and he has already allowed him to be the sacrifice for our sin. Instead of us. Instead of us being punished for it, Jesus was punished for it. The scales of justice for your sins have already been set right. Not only the scales of your past, but the scales of your future. Can, can, can your future sin be greater than what God has already done? No. Paul makes it even better than that. He asks the question, Will not that same God that did not even spare his son for you be willing to give you some things? Right? That's what it says, some things. Read your Bible. All things. All things. It's not only that he died for you, but he's willing to give you all things. Now, now I made it personal. I said you. But I want you to see what God said. God said all. All who set their minds on the spirit, what God has said, and not the flesh, the accusation of the devil and ourselves or other people. 
Those who set their mind on what God has said. In the next verse, we're going to get out on that seemingly theologically rocky cliff again. Paul's next question. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? That, that answers the question about who the us is in that statement. The elect, that word means those God chose for salvation. But here's where we could slip in our theological opinions and not see the assurance God wants us to see. I, I want you to remember that Paul's goal for writing this was not debate, but, but to give assurance to the disciples going through great hardship and persecution in this world, living out their faith, which made them confront doubts that were seated by Satan and, and by their own minds and, and by other people's opinions. Because these other questions come up from self and Satan about those that God did not choose. We, we immediately start thinking that. Did, did they not have a chance? I mean, this seems like some cosmic game of duck, duck, damn. Right? We hear that word choose. Where God seems to be picking some people and damning others based on something like maybe their bad behavior or their, their bad beliefs or their just general nature. But didn't Paul say God gave Christ up for us all? I looked up the word all in the Greek, and you know what it means? All. All. So, so Christ's sacrifice was not just for some and not for others. All means all. Now, trying to answer these questions, there's been two different schools of thought that have formed in the church. One called Calvinism, proposed by John Calvin, and Arminianism that was um, proposed by Jacobus Arminius. And they're both brothers. I mean, they they, they were trying to understand God, but their philosophies conflict. And friends, I'm here to tell you today, neither one of them are perfect. Going in, in the... And and too far in either direction, you will eventually distort what God is saying in his word about our assurance. But I I, I do want to propose that with wrestling with their thoughts in light of scripture, we can get a greater view of our assurance if we think of them as rungs of a ladder that help our understanding, that make us ask questions to go even higher in our understanding. One of the truths we must understand is universal depravity. The universal depravity of our sin that that God needs to save us from. He needs to save us from his own judgment. And that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And both Calvin and Arminius would agree that that is what the scriptures say. But the question becomes, Does our depravity in sin leave us helpless to respond to God? His word says, But God being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive 
together with Christ. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. And you know, when Paul says dead here, do you know what he means in the Greek? Dead. A corpse. Not like we use the the word today, like Jonah's dead to the world right now. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Tired boy. Anyways, we use it that way, but he's talking a corpse, something that has no ability. Jonah woke up, but this is not a corpse. It's not going to wake up. It's not an expression. So if that is our condition, how can we receive what God has for us unless he makes us alive first? Which fits with what Paul said earlier in Romans 8.10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. It, It seems that the spirit has to act upon us first before we can even receive salvation. And it's not just going to be an intellectual exercise of correct theology. God has to do something. He has to make us alive. Jesus says we must be born again by the Spirit. That's scripturally true. Which seems to say it's God's choice who he makes alive. But if if you're Armenian and you're thinking, don't get nervous. Keep climbing with me, okay? Okay. Arminius proposed that we have a free will, the ability to choose or reject God. And in Scripture, we have all kinds of examples. We were given to the choice or the challenge to receive God. John 3.16 is a famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Seems like whoever believes. You know what whoever means in the Greek? Whoever. Everybody, right? There's no trick there. Whoever. Anybody that believes is saved. In, in, in Jesus' preaching all the time, he uses the word whoever to call people to salvation. It was not just some religious holy person who obeyed all the rules The whoever included prostitutes and thieves and and, and drunkards. And and see, what Calvin proposed was some kind of limited atonement that Jesus' blood only covered those who God chose. But Jesus said things like, whoever believes in me, so salvation is offered to all, and we are all responsible before God to choose it. So the atonement, I don't believe, is limited. But it's also not universal. We must respond to it. And and Calvin's solution is how we are made alive is something called irresistible grace, which also makes sense. It's God's love that acts first. God so loved the world. His kindness to you was ignited you and, and, and it was meant to lead you to repentance. See, God does the first work of loving us. And, and he's the author of our salvation according to the scriptures. Paul said this in Romans 8, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
And see, that verse gives us real assurance in our salvation because who is our assurance based on? God. He's the one who predestined or chooses who will be saved. Calvin believed that it was totally God's choice, which to some seems to limit his grace. Arminius believed in human free will. God chooses, but he chooses those who might be best to receive him. But, but that can lead to people thinking his grace is based on their ability to receive it because of some work of their flesh. And it, it doesn't appear in Scripture that it always matters whether somebody is willing to receive God's grace in advance. The Apostle Paul himself was not so willing to receive God's grace. God had to knock him down a peg. He was not a prime candidate that God chose because he was so good in his past behavior. He was actually out killing God's people. And when God called Saul, who became Paul, he said this to Ananias, Go, for he is my chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. God chose Paul for his purpose, even when Saul was rejecting him. Scripture shows God's call often to those who are not somehow predisposed to him, like Manasseh. It is his call, friends, not our choice that gives us assurance. Arminius made a big deal about man's free will to choose. But friends, we're not saved by our free will to choose. We are saved by God's choice in calling us, no matter how we think it works. Human freedom to choose from my experience is a choice for sin. That's what we choose. And our sin enslaves us, so that's not freedom. Romans 30 says he justifies us. That is, declares us not guilty of sin. It is he who does that, not by any work of our own. And there is a promise in this verse, those whom he justified or made sinless, he also glorified. He is the one that's going to complete that good work he has done in you. If he's forgiven you, if he's justified you, he is going to complete that work. But see, Hermanius puts that, that work back on you. He's, he says, you have the choice to reject what God has done in you. That, that you can make God fail in his work of salvation. And friends, that, frankly, insults the cross. I would rather insult your illusion of freedom in your choice to sin than insult the cross of Christ to say that it could fail. The Son of God does not fail. If he has saved you, he has saved you. And you are assured of his love throughout. He calls. 
He justifies. He glorifies or perfects us for heaven. It's all a work of God. Where, where are you mentioned in that? Where are your choices mentioned in that? This call is not based on you. You can't self-justify based on your own behavior. Only he can do the work of making you unable to sin, which is what glorification is all about. When we get to heaven, we will not be able to sin. He's the only one that can do that. Who here has tried to be sinless on their own? How successful have you been? Anybody nailed it? Nobody here has nailed that? See, what I'm talking about is a golden thread of assurance in your salvation. He calls. He justifies. He glorifies. It's a golden thread. He's doing the work that gives us assurance. Because if it's based on me, I'm done. I'm going to fail. But God will not fail. Because he is for us. We'll all stand condemned unless we believe he does all the work of our salvation. What, what does Paul say after he talks about God choosing, this idea of choosing some elect? He says, it is God who justifies. It's not our choice that justifies us. It is God who chose to lay down his son's life that justifies us. Even if you believe it was your choice to respond to him, that's okay. But it's not your response that justifies. It's God who declares you sinless. In, in Armenian thinking, we can falsely place too much weight in our flesh's ability to do something like respond. But the same thing can happen in, in Calvin thinking. People with low self-esteem start to think, well, did God choose me? But what is that thinking based upon? Some kind of real or perceived flaw in their flesh? That's what they're thinking on. They're thinking on the flesh if they're asking that question. But can anything in the flesh save us? No. It's God who saves us from his wrath by declaring us just because of his son's sacrifice. Friends, if you have a low self-esteem today, let me give you some assurance. The fact that you're worried about it is good. If you're worried, did God choose me? That's good. Because those that are dead in their sins are not worried at all. They don't even care. Your worry means that God has started to make you alive in Christ. So today respond in obedience by believing in the assurance of his love for you that has nothing to do with anything of you in the flesh. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance of your own doubts and fears about him. Because God is for you. It's you that are against you. Look at Paul's next question. Who is to condemn If you're worried about the state of your salvation, it's not God who is condemning you. 
That's not his intent. Because from before the foundations of this world, it was his plan to save you. John 3.17 tells us, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What is God's purpose there, friends? What is his purpose? To save. Not just some limited group. The world. That's what the word says. That's where Calvin has some errors. Right? His atonement is big enough for all, which means all. If you feel condemned because of your sin, it's not God telling you that. That's what Paul is saying in the next verse. Christ Jesus is the one who died. That's God's answer to that question. Am I condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Who is to condemn? He's saying, what, look what I've already done for you to prove my love. To give you assurance of it. It's not me condemning you. Who wants to condemn you? Satan. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the one always reminding you of your sin. Or maybe it's you that's always reminding you of your sin. Maybe it's your own conscience that condemns you. And you know, God has the same answers for you and the devil. Christ Jesus is the one who died. The truth is, I, I don't need to die for my sin. Jesus has done it. He's God saying, I I don't need you to die for your sin because your sin has already been paid for. I do not condemn you, but you think your opinions or other people's opinions, opinions are greater than me. And so you condemn yourself. You, you believe your truth more than my truth. You have rejected the grace of my son, and in that case, you stand condemned. It's not me who condemns you. Turn now, now is the opportunity. Turn now and be saved by believing that you're not condemned. Okay, Arminius, you have the choice to be condemned if you want, but that's not my choice for you. Are you going to believe God or you? Do you value your choice more than mine? Who is to condemn? The work of your salvation is not yours, it's God's. And he's saying, believe what I have said. And honestly, if you believe in what he has said, you can't go wrong. Even if it leads to apparently conflicting ideas in the flesh, if you believe what God has said, you can't go wrong. It's because the flesh has no power to save you. It's only Christ Jesus who died who has the power to save you. And when any devil comes to condemn you by faith, you need to say, I'm not condemned 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. That's the answer. Wait, it gets better. God, God proved his word again to be true. The verse continues to say, more than that, who was raised? Jesus did not die, just die for our sins. God's word said he was raised. That means the power of our sin is dead. Because death is dead. Sin causes death. But Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father forever, which means sin is gone. Because God is so holy, 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 that he can't occupy the same space as our sin. So sin had to go away for Jesus even to be there next to his dad. How can you be condemned by something that's gone? Unless you do not believe that it's gone. Because you believe more in what Satan, yourself, and others are saying. Who can really condemn you? Beloved. Only the one that's most important in your life. Is it God? Is it Satan? Is it self? Or is it others? Because if it's God, you're not condemned. If that's the most important thing in your life, you're not condemned. So are you worshiping another opinion or God's? The Bible says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion are raised against the knowledge of God and take thought captive and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Friends, what thoughts are captivating your mind that are condemning you? What thoughts are captivating your mind that are condemning you? Are they thoughts of the flesh? Are they thoughts of what God has said? Repent and and take your thoughts captive to Christ who does not condemn you. And you know who the judge is? Jesus. Jesus is the judge. And he does not condemn you right now. Instead, he dies for you. Think of a judge coming off the bench for a criminal and saying, okay, I'll take the gas chamber for all them that are here. That's what Jesus did. He's the judge. God has given him all dominion and all power, and and he died to set you free. Paul is saying, who is the judge that is condemning you? It's not God. Not right now. Turn to him and live. Friends, are your, your thoughts condemning of others? Then are you obeying Christ? Are you holding every thought captive to obey his gospel? Repent. Turn and forgive others. And receive his grace. Even if they're annoying Calvinists or annoying Armenians or annoying Muslims or annoying whoever is annoying you, we are saved by God's grace through faith, not religious ideas or opinions. Friends, live, live assured today. 
Many do not have assurance because they believe God is in heaven judging them for everything that they do wrong or think wrongly. And that's their own conscience. And it's not wrong to feel the pain of your conscience in your sin because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We need to understand that our sin is serious, that it carries the penalty so much that the Son of God had to die for it. But if we have that thought, if we think on that thought, it will compel us to turn to God for mercy and help. Be assured. God in heaven is not judging you today, hoping you will fail so that he can punish you. God says in the next verse, in verse 34, who is at the right hand of God, this is Jesus, interceding for us. So the the posture of God in heaven right now is not one of judgment and condemnation. Paul says Jesus, who is God, is interceding for you right now as you're sinning. He is praying for you, just like he did on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He is praying for you. He is battling the devil. He's combating the devil for you. The one who's constantly accusing you, he is battling it through preachers and through music and through all kinds of ways of his word coming to you. He is combating the devil who is constantly accusing you. And he is there reminding the Father that that one's untouchable. And that one's untouchable. And that one's untouchable because they're mine. I died for them. They are in me. Paul says all these things, friends, so that you can have assurance of God's unshakable love for you. Today we took a, a perilous climb through some opinions of men like Calvin and Arminius and a foolish man like Pastor Ken. But I hope what you can see is the eternal love God has for you in his word. And that you are assured that he is for you and not against you. And that he wants to justify you, declare you not guilty. And he wants to give you all things. And he does not want to condemn you, but to raise you today to new life. Today, put your trust in the vision you have seen of a God who loves you. Put no confidence in your flesh. You owe nothing to it. You owe yourself to his spirit. Today, my friends, stop living in condemnation and believe what his word says and live in unshakable assurance of his love for you. He is for you. Repent today of your doubts and your fears, and receive his grace by faith in what he has already done for you. Let us pray. Father, I you can do abundantly more than what we can think or even imagine, and we imagine all kinds of things in our, in our flesh. But Lord, your word is clear. You've demonstrated your love for us in Jesus Christ, the word of God, who became flesh and proved your love for us by dying for us on a cross. 
And today, Lord, if there's anybody here that suffering with fears and, and doubts whether they are loved, Lord, or maybe they've never heard that they are loved. They've, they've thought of you as a, a judge their whole life that wants to condemn them. Father, today may they repent. May, may, they, may they turn and believe that you are good and that you reward those who seek you. And those who seek you can be assured of your love forever, that it does not fail. And Father, let them come and rest in your grace. Let them walk with you, trusting in you that you're Lord, because your glory is better than anything else in all this world. And you can do things we can't even imagine. You can make us free and know everything about us, because you're God. I don't know how you made a, a virgin have a baby, and I don't know how you did that, but you're God. And what you declare is true. And you've declared that you desire to save all. So if there's anybody here today, Lord, let them surrender to your love. We can't earn it. We can't choose it. We just need to surrender to it. Believe it by faith. Father, if we do that, you'll be good to save us because of what Jesus has done. Father, through the Holy Spirit today, do a mighty work in people's hearts. Let your kingdom come, fill them. Let them go out and share that kingdom with others. Because that's your desire. And that's your will, that all would know you. We praise you, Jesus.